Wow. Thank you. Thank you for your worship this morning. Thank you for your praise of God our King. Thank you for your worship in your service. Thank you for your worship in your giving. I'm really grateful, John, for you pointing that out to us this morning, that it is an act of worship, and we are praising God for the ministry of the church. And if I can just give you a tiny bit of insight into the leadership, we don't always know what we're doing. So we covet your prayers. We really do, because we're trying to be faithful stewards of what God has given, and God has blessed this church in so many ways. And I'm so excited to think of 50 people uptown praying for the people of uptown yesterday. That's half their congregation, by the way. That's half of the Sunday morning attendance. That would be like well over 100 of us assembling to just pray over 500 homes in the city of La Habra. That's amazing. I'm praising God for Kyle and Brandon, the secret church that the high school is doing. They have invited our high school students into, so that's something we get to participate in. The Brandon leads the junior high, and our junior hires go to camp with them. So those, we are part of them, and we're seeking out how we are one together, one church in many places. But what you give and how you serve and minister in this church is a true blessing, and it is an act of worship before God. And so thank you for that. We're very, very grateful. I'd love to start this morning with just a, a word of prayer And then we're going to look into God's word this morning together as part of our worship together. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you are a great God and there is no other name that we call on to be saved than your son Jesus. And so we thank you for that and we praise you for making a way for us to be with you. Lord, I thank you for this place. I thank you for this school for the opportunity to meet here and proclaim you. Lord, I pray this morning as we open up your word that you would speak to us. I pray right now, Lord, that you would open our hearts to hear from you, that you would speak through your word this morning. I pray for those of us who are followers of you this morning that you would encourage us, give us a glimpse into the hope that we have as your children And I pray for those who are here this morning, Lord, that maybe don't know you in a personal relationship. And I pray that even now, Lord, you would begin through your Holy Spirit to draw them to yourself. Your name is great, and we want it to be great this morning. So, Lord, help us in your name. Amen. It is great to be with you. My name is Dennis. For those of you who don't know, it's great to be back with you This morning, some of you know that a group of us were gone last weekend. A group of us from here and a group from the Whittier Hills campus were away at our Palomar retreat with the fourth and fifth graders and their parents last weekend. And if you were here, I know that you prayed for us while we were there. And I just want to thank you for your prayers for us. It's good to be back, but it was great to be there. And because you prayed, let me tell you a little bit about that weekend and what we were able to experience. We... um, We asked you to pray that families would create lasting memories while they were there. Palomar is a retreat that I've been able to participate in um, with my oldest daughter, and it's something that we still look back on very fondly, and we wanted that to be the case for other families as well. And it was a real joy to sit back and watch families 
horseback riding together, laughing together, playing soccer together, learning archery together or not learning archery together, um, kind of experiencing all these things that Palomar has to offer and worshiping God together and walking out into the woods to sit down and have a conversation about the Lord together. I cannot explain to you what a joy it is to watch a father walk out in the woods with his daughter and sit down and just talk about the Lord for 20 minutes, just have a heart-to-heart conversation, or a mom with her son or daughter. That was a joy, and I think lasting memories were created. We also asked you to pray for a clear understanding of the gospel for those that were there. Our theme for the weekend was deeply rooted, and our motto was that our, our fruit comes from our root. What we do, what comes out of our, those were the motions, by the way, that we did. Our fruit comes from our root. What comes out of our life, what we do, comes out of what we believe, what we're rooted in. When the fruit of our life looks like the fruit of the Spirit, then we know that we're rooted in a true understanding of who God is, and that's flowing out of us. When the fruit of our life doesn't look like the fruit of the Spirit, then we know there's something about God that we don't believe We may know it, but we don't believe it because our actions don't reflect that belief. Our actions reflect what we truly believe because what I do comes out of what I believe. My fruit comes from my root. So I want to thank you for praying for us last week, and it was a great time. And I think that God answered your prayers, and I think he honored your prayers. So thank you for that. It's actually similar in many ways, to what Peter's talking about in the book of 1 Peter. Peter's writing to a group of believers and saying, I don't want you to forget. I want you to remember who God is and what he's done. And I want you to remember that that changes who you are and what you do. You're part of God's family. God is this, he is gracious and he's loving and he's invited you into his family and he's made you his heir which means you are an heir to the king, the true king. Not only that, but you stand to gain this glorious, precious inheritance as a child of the king. And that has implications, your relationship with him. It changes who you are. And it changes, or it ought to change, what you do. It ought to change how you live, because that's true. Now, our series in 1 Peter is called Hope in a Hostile World. For the followers of Jesus, there's this great overriding hope that trumps the circumstances of life because of the truth of who God is and what he's done, which is what we call the gospel. The gospel is shorthand for who God is and what he's done. And the truth is that changes everything. If you have a Bible this morning, would you turn with us to the book of 1 Peter? If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's probably one sitting nearby you. We brought some for you. We're going to be in the book of 1 Peter, which is way at the back of the New Testament. If you're using our Bible, it's going to be page 1014, all the way toward the back. It's a little book, so it's hard to find. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, you can grab one of ours now, or you can grab one of ours at the end of service, and you're welcome to take that home with you. I love it when we start getting low on Bibles because that means people are taking them home and hopefully that means you're reading them at home. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now last week, 
Pastor Len walked us through the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And one of the things that we see there is that once you get a taste of the goodness of God, you want more of it. Uses that term crave. We would crave time in the Word, that we would crave time with Him, that we would see that God is good and that we would desire more of that. That once you have a sense of what it means to belong to Him, that once you have a small understanding of who He is and what He's like, that you want to know more about it. You want to soak in that. You want to rest in that because we find comfort in that truth because it changes our reality. And my hope is that that's true for us this morning as followers of Jesus, that the good news, the gospel, actually changes us and it drives us, it motivates us because that's what it's supposed to do. Peter's going to expand on that in our passage this morning. And Peter's going to say, essentially, what you believe about Jesus changes everything. What you believe about Jesus changes everything. Now, I'm going to read our entire passage this morning because I want you to hear the whole thing. And then we're going to walk through it because on a first reading, some of this is a little bit hard for us to understand. So read with me 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And we're going to read through verse 12 this morning. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious." And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter is explaining a process of what's happening to the followers of Jesus. He's saying what you believe about Jesus changes everything. It changes who you are and it changes what you do, what comes out of your Life. Look at these first few verses with me, if you would. Verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As you come to him, who? As you come to who? You know, the living stone. Who's that? What is a living stone? Does anybody know? Who is he talking about? 
He's talking about Jesus. I'll give you the shortcut answer. He's going to expand on it a little bit more. He's actually referencing some Old Testament imagery, but I'm just going to tell you he's talking about Jesus. And he's going to talk about that more in a minute. Jesus was precious to God and chosen by him for a specific purpose. But how was he responded to by those who received him? It says he was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. So Peter says, as you come to him, Jesus, as you come to Jesus, whether for the very first time in repentance and belief in him, or in the continued process of being a follower of Jesus, as you come to him, God is doing something in you. You are being shaped. You are being changed. How do we know that? Where do we see that? He says, as you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What's going on there? He says, you're being made like him. If Jesus is the living stone, you are like living stones. You're being shaped into the image of Jesus as you follow him, as you come toward him. There's something happening to you personally. You're being changed. There's something happening to you corporately. You, as you become living stones and look like Jesus, are being built into a spiritual house. What is that? His church. You've got a room full of living stones being built up into his church. For what purpose? Why is he doing that? So that you would be a holy priesthood. So that you would offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ, you know, like you do. You all know the priesthood, right? You're familiar with that. You're all familiar with the sacrificial system and, no? What is he saying? The concept here is what people that are much smarter than me and a lot of books would call the priesthood of believers. Maybe some of you have heard that term before, but what it means is, it means that every Christian has immediate access to God. It means that every Christian serves God personally. It means that every Christian ministers to others. It means that every Christian has something to give. Before Jesus, people needed somebody to mediate between them and God, someone on their behalf, a priest, who would be the go-between. After Jesus, Peter says, you have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, not because of anything you've done. He says, sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mediator, and he's done it once for all. So we have access to God. Now, Here's the Old Testament passage that Peter's using from Isaiah where he gets the stone reference. Look in verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is God's foundation stone. He's carefully chosen and very costly. It cost him a lot. The cornerstone is the foundation. It would be the first stone set of a new building, and some of them are, are massive, massive stones. And it sets not only the foundation for the building, but the direction of everything else that's going to be built upon it. 
Peter's encouraging these believers to say, if your foundation is built on Jesus, you will not be put to shame. You cannot lose. Your hope is secure. As you come to him, this is what it looks like to move toward him. You are being shaped personally into the image of Jesus. You are being shaped corporately into his church and your hope is secure. And then Peter's going to say, now this is what it looks like to move away from God. This is what it looks like to not be rooted or set on the foundation of Jesus. Now, as you read the whole passage, as we did to begin with, this almost comes as like an aside. It sounds like this part should be kind of in parentheses, and here's why. Who is Peter writing to? He's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. But as he's writing to them, he's going to contrast it with what they used to be so that they have a clearer understanding of hope and encouragement. So listen to this, verse 7 and 8. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. These can be hard verses for us to understand. Not because they're unclear, but because they're hard for us to hear. I'll say this again. What you believe about Jesus changes everything. And Peter says, for those who believe there is honor. Because this stone, Jesus, this foundation that you're on, is precious to you and precious to God. And that's the foundation that's going to set the direction for your life. It's what your life is meant to be built on. And God will shape his people. And God will build his church. He will glorify Jesus. And those who belong to him will share in that glory. So he says, the honor is for you who believe. But God's plan accounts for the rejection of the gospel. God's plan accounts for those who will refuse to acknowledge him as creator and Lord, who are tripped up by or offended by the notion of submitting to God's authority in their life, who refuse to accept the free gift of salvation that is offered to them, extended through the saving work of Jesus Christ. God's plan accounts for those who reject him as their foundation. And they choose to build their lives on something else, anything else but him. But here's the thing. Refusing to acknowledge the truth doesn't change the truth. If I refuse to acknowledge that the earth is round, it doesn't make it flat. It makes me wrong. And in the same way, Refusing to acknowledge Jesus doesn't change the truth of who Jesus is. He is the cornerstone. He is. And those who choose to reject God and never surrender themselves to his lordship are destined to be separated from God for eternity according to his plan of salvation. That's true. And that's hard. Because every one of us, 
has either been there or knows someone who is there, someone that we love and care about very much, and we think, well, can't God make a way for them? And God did make a way for them. And God wants them to be with him. We know that from Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us in verse 4 that God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Here's what it says in verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Of course he wants everyone to be with him. And he did make a way. But God loves us enough to give us a choice to love him in return. And we have a real choice, a crucial choice to make. But our choice is still subject to the ultimate authority of God. And my belief or unbelief doesn't change who God is, and it does not frustrate God's plan. I believe it grieves him very, very much. But it doesn't change who he is and it doesn't change his plan of salvation. What you believe about Jesus changes everything. It determines eternity. Those who belong to him cannot lose. And those who reject him cannot win. There is one God and one mediator, Jesus Christ. It changes everything. It changes who I am. That's what Peter says next, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race. Do you see how he contrasts this? He's talking about those who do not believe, and he says, but you are different. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. But you are different, Peter says, because you belong to God. And again, Peter uses this Old Testament imagery, this language to make his point. This is language that was originally spoken to the nation of Israel, but it's now appropriated to the followers of Jesus at large. And it's not language we tend to use a lot. So let's just look at those individually and see what Peter is saying about who they are as the followers of Christ. He says, you are a chosen race, chosen by God. God is the one who took the initiative in your salvation. God is the one who did the work. God is the one who made the initiative. He says, you're a royal priesthood. You are royalty. You are an heir to the king. Not only that, but you're a royal priesthood, which means you are heirs of the king for the worship and ministry in the name of the king. He says, you're a holy nation. You are set apart for God's use. And you are not alone. Now remember who he's writing to. Believers scattered all over the place. And he's writing this letter to encourage them. And he calls them a holy nation. Now you can use nation in a lot of different ways. We use it actually a lot in sports. Red Sox nation, Raider nation, Laker nation. What do we mean when we say that? 
That means I identify with all these people who love the same thing, right? I'm part of Laker Nation, and I may be cheering them on in my house, but I'm part of Laker Nation, people all over in their houses cheering them on as well. Maybe not as much this year. (laughs) What Peter's saying is you're part of something way cooler than Laker Nation. You're part of a holy nation. As a follower of Jesus, you're set apart for God's use but you identify with a bunch of people who love and serve the same God all over the place. You're a people for his own possession, he says. The understanding of this is ownership. You belong to God. That he would say, you are mine. How great is that for God to express that to his children? And for what purpose. What purpose does this new identity serve? He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That you would proclaim the greatness of God. That you would be so moved and so changed by what God has done that you would tell everybody about it. And then verse 10 He says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We can understand this on its own. That makes sense. We used to be like this, and now we're like this. We used to be like this, and now we're like this. Part of our new identity in Christ, God's people. We've received his mercy. But this actually references an Old Testament story. The Old Testament story of Hosea. Now, Hosea is a rough book. This is a tough story if you haven't read it before, and I'll give you the real Cliff Note family version. (laughs) Hosea was asked to marry a woman knowing that she would be unfaithful to him. That was his assignment from God. I want you to marry this woman, and she's going to be unfaithful to you. He knew that because of the line of work that she was in. And God asked him to do that as a living example of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. And Hosea's life did not get a lot easier. And they had children. And his second and third children, their names literally are no mercy and not my people. That's what God asked Hosea to name his children. And then this really bizarre but beautiful picture of God's restoration The beginning of Hosea is about the judgment against Israel, but then chapter 2 is God's mercy on them. And this is what it says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. This is God speaking. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Now read verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I look at that passage in Hosea and I think our response is, and you are my God. And I will proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He says, He is yours and you are his. That's who you are. So proclaim it. Proclaim that. What you believe about Jesus changes everything. 
Those who belong to him cannot lose. Those who reject him cannot win. And it changes who you are. You're not just rescued out of darkness, but you are brought into the marvelous light and glory of God for the purpose of proclaiming him. And it changes what you do. That's what Peter says in the last two verses this morning. 11 and 12, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter says, Beloved, my dear friends. Now, Peter probably doesn't know who he's writing to. Unlike Paul, his letters are written to churches where he's either visited or he started them. Peter's writing to believers all over the place, people he doesn't necessarily know. But he writes to them like a brother, like a family member, because of their connection through Jesus Christ. So he says, my dear friends, I urge you, I implore you to what? Remember where you belong. You don't belong here. You are exiles here. You're foreigners here. This is not your home. Your citizenship is in heaven, so act like it. Don't act like you belong here. Resist the passions of the flesh, the temptation to disobey, the temptation to use what God has created for good and twist it into something that dishonors him. These passions, these temptations that war against the soul, that is really strong language. And the picture that Peter is giving us here is this battle, this struggle to move toward God instead of away from Him. And I think it gives us a sense, that struggle can give us a sense of which direction we're moving in our life. How we're doing with that struggle gives us a sense of where we're headed. Am I moving toward God? Or am I moving away from him? If I'm moving toward him, then I am actively guarding my conduct as an act of worship to God. What I do is an act of worship, not just what I say or what I give or where I serve. Peter says your conduct is an act of obedience. It's an act of worship and it's a testimony to those who are watching you. He says in verse 12, when they speak against you as evildoers, they're going to, that's a given, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That word see means to continuously observe. So it says, as they continuously observe the way you live, that they might give glory to God. That they might give glory to God on the day of visitation. How are we to understand what that means? I think we could read this two ways, and I think both may be right. We know and understand that at some point, everyone will bring glory to God. We know that to be true. Romans 14 tells us that there will be a day that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. That will happen. That's a given when Christ returns, the day of visitation. But Peter is clearly referencing their conduct in front of people who don't know the Lord, in front of people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I think there's a reason why he's giving them this clear 
exhortation and living in obedience before other people. That they would bring glory to God in their conduct and that those who observe them and those who even accuse them of doing evil would see the way they live and that the Holy Spirit might bring conviction or even repentance and salvation. That the day of visitation might even refer to the day that God reveals himself to them so that their life is lived as a testimony before those who don't know the Lord. What I believe about Jesus changes everything. With Jesus as my foundation, I cannot lose. And without him, if I exchange that cornerstone for anything else, I cannot win. I'm lost. When I place my trust in Jesus and follow him, it changes who I am. I'm not just rescued out of darkness. I'm brought into the glorious light of God, his marvelous light. So I proclaim the truth of who God is because I understand that. I proclaim the gospel. When I place my trust in Jesus Christ, it changes what I do. I live my life as an act of worship. I actively guard myself from moving away from God and into sin. And I actively pursue Him through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life so that I would be shaped to look more and more like Him, like a living stone. And then I would do that in community as a part of the holy nation being built into a spiritual house of living stones. That's what it looks like as God builds His church. You have your connection card this morning. It came with your worship folder, and I'd ask you to take that out. Because I'd like to ask you a question this morning in response to this. And on that connection card, you can share a prayer request with us. You can share a praise of what God is doing in your life. If you're visiting with us this morning, boy, we'd love to know that and find some way to connect with you. We'd love to answer any questions that you have for us. But here's the real question that I have for you this morning in light of this. What do I believe about Jesus? What do I believe about Jesus? Because what I believe about Jesus changes everything. And I just have to say, I am so proud and so excited and sometimes so amazed to watch so many of you live a life that is transformed because of your relationship with God. It is so clear to me that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and moving through you, that you are living with hope in the midst of a hostile world, that God has changed you and it flows out of you and you're pursuing his kingdom. And it is awesome to watch and it is encouraging to watch and you make me want to do it better. So thank you and praise God for that because it has everything to do with him. Here's the thing. God can do that work in us and the Holy Spirit can move through us and he can change us and shape us and he gets all the praise and glory for that. But we can resist that work in our life. And some of you this morning are here and you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you're not moving toward him. You're moving away from him. You're actively resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you're losing the war against sin. So what do we do? 
Because my prayer is that we would all be moving toward him and being shaped into his image. So what do we do when that's not true of us and that's not true of us always? We repent. And repentance is not something we do once when we come to faith. Repentance is a continual posture of giving up our belief in other things other than the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. That when I when what I do does not look like the fruit of the Spirit, when what I do does not look like Jesus, there's something in my life I need to repent of. There's something about Him that I don't believe. And I need to turn to a true understanding of God and claim that over my sin. And God says, you're mine. I have mercy. I offer forgiveness. You are my people. You are my child. How great is that? So for some of you this morning... Praise God for what he's doing in your life. And for some of you this morning, you need to just repent or maybe you need to ask for help from other living stones who are pursuing God. Some of you have never turned to God, never believed the truth of who God is. That's never happened for you before. But refusing to acknowledge the truth of who Jesus is doesn't change who Jesus is. So I would invite you this morning to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and repent and believe in who God is and what he's done. And with us, move toward God to be shaped into the image of his son and claim this inheritance that we have and declare the praises and the majesty of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Here's what that means that we as the church would proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of hopelessness and into hope. That's what Peter's talking about. God is the one that offers hope. We're going to praise God now as his church, as living stones being shaped into the image of Jesus. And I'm going to invite the worship team up now so that we can praise God. And would you pray with me as they come to lead us in worship? Heavenly Father, We're so grateful for what you've done. I pray right now, Father, that we would come before you and repent of the things that we do not believe about you that are true and that we would claim the things about you that we know to be true and that you would shape us into the image of your Son, that we would be people who are changed, who live as your children and heirs to the King. We thank you for extending salvation to us. In your name, amen.